a church that's just getting off the ground. Think about a church that just, just started. A guy uh, started in, from his own family. His name is, his name is Epaphras. You know, just went home and says, hey, mom, dad, brother, sister, this is what I discovered. This Messiah, this Jesus guy, he's, he's here to save the world. And so the family goes, that's pretty amazing. And so the church started with just a family and it grew. And so he would go, he would go back to Paul and he would connect with Paul and he would tell Paul that although we're doing great, there's a lot of cultural pressure to change what we believe. Can you relate to that? The cultural pressure of changing what you believe about God. You know, um, I visit churches sometimes and sometimes I have these awkward conversations about, you know, what churches believe and what the Bible says. And they're really awkward because what I was trying to communicate one time was our church is trying to get, catch up with the culture. And I was talking about messaging, you know, using the internet more, social media. I was kind of, that, that's where my head was going. He's like, yeah, we just accept everyone for where they're at, no matter what. We have, you know, we have all kinds. And I was like, whoa, whoa, I didn't say all that. I was just saying, I'm just trying to say we, we have to do a better job of using Twitter, maybe, you know, something like that. But the conversation went away, and I realized, and I realized that for the sake of just having your church filled with people, you almost have to disregard what's in the Bible. And it was like, it was sobering because I visited that church and it's packed and my friend goes to that church and it's amazing. But I noticed the difference in what caused conversation. So it was an awkward night, believe me. But I pulled it through. This is kind of what's happening in Colossae. Jesus is, the pressure is, Jesus isn't the way. He's not the truth. He's not the life. There's actually, he can't be the way. And that's the pressure they're facing. Although they're doing, they're doing great, there's, a, there's an enormous amount of pressure. So Paul's in prison, and he writes this letter to a church he's never met, he's never planted, but he writes him a letter. And Paul was telling the church, hey, you're doing great, but resist the pressures of rejecting Jesus. And so this is the letter that we're going to read today. And this is some of the things that are happening. There's a lot of mystical mysteries there's a, there's a way to get to God, but it's not through Jesus. It's through other ways, but it's a secret. I'll share the knowledge with you. We'll do it together. It's mysterious. And so that's what's happening in Colossae. So Paul writes a letter to encourage the church, but to also warn them not to give up on the hope. And he tells them the reason why in this letter. This is a portion of the letter that I think Paul reflects back on his his knowledge of Jesus and the suffering of Jesus. Just like Dan had said about the, about the nails and his hands and feet. One of the passages that describe a little bit of his, what his life was like on earth. It says he offered up prayers and petitions. This is Jesus. With fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Why when I read that, what hits me is... There was a stress level there. There was a fear level there. There was a human level, hey, this is gonna be difficult. I know, I know my purpose, I know I'm God, I know why I came, but there is a stress level of, you know what? Loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from what? From death. That's real stress, real fear. Sometimes we, 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 we feel that when the doorbell rings at 10 o'clock at night, who's that? You know, we, 
We get all stressed out. My dogs are barking. We can get easily stressed out about life and death. And says he was heard because of his reverent submission. This is the, the ministry of Jesus. Now, Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's suffering. He says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. He's telling the church that his suffering is for them. Paul is explaining that he's suffering because he was bold enough to declare that Jesus of Nazareth is the resurrected king. He is the Messiah that was declared in the Old Testament. And he's suffering for that. He's in prison for that. And he describes himself in prison as suffering for you. What's interesting is that word means affection. A passion. He's not like suffering like, I'm just holding on and white knuckling it for dear life. He goes, I am passionately suffering with affection for you. His suffering had a purpose. Greek word is pathema. I'm suffering. It's the same word described as the passion of Jesus. As we know, he went to the cross. He shares his suffering. Not as a sign of defeat but a way of participating in Jesus' own suffering done as an act of love. I gladly suffer for Jesus, as Paul's writing. Reminds me of Hebrews 12 when it says that Jesus joyfully went to the cross. He joyfully went. Paul is joyfully suffering. And then that word, that phrase, what is still lacking in regards to, to Christ's affliction, not, not that Paul was saying, Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. That's not what he's saying. Our calling is to make the afflictions of Jesus real for people by the afflictions we experience and bringing them the message. Wow, it's amazing how this person lost their child and yet they are still reaching out to the people who came to the funeral. Suffering and the afflictions for the message of Jesus. That's just one example that I've seen in my life. I've seen so many things that are tragic and these amazing people are thinking about how they can get the message out in the midst of their suffering. That's what's lacking is that people don't know about the sufferings of Jesus because they're not seeing it enough in our life. Now, we can suffer for many things. We can just suffer from making dumb decisions. That's not what I'm talking about. Many of us suffer for dumb decisions. I'm one of them. But I'm talking suffering for the sake of the gospel. It's a different kind of suffering. There's a cost. Sadly, some of us have forgotten that cost. The cost that we counted. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, Six months ago, maybe you forgot. And that's simple. Love God. Love people. Here's a phrase I want to give you. Go and make disciples of the people.
people that God has put in your world. Go and make disciples of the people that God has put in your world specifically. He put them there supernaturally for you to reach them. Because it's going to take suffering to win the world, to win your world. It ain't going to come easy. Don't think that making disciples is going to be an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. It's hard. Try after, after nine, ten hours of work to, to go and be giving just to your wife and kids. And then go to your household. Try that. That's hard. Sometimes you suffer from lack of sleep. I don't know about you. When, when I don't get enough sleep, the next day, the world is sideways. It's sideways. And I'm cranky. And I'm not handling my suffering well. It's not a passion. It's irritability. Right? Our calling is to make the afflictions of Christ, Jesus, real for people by the afflictions that we experience in bringing them the message of salvation. Here's a question. Are you suffering for others to know Jesus? Did you you miss this word that he said in the beginning, rejoice? He said, rejoice. I rejoice in my suffering. No, Paul wasn't angered with the Colossians. He wasn't mad at them saying, look, you're bad people. Look at all the suffering that I have to do because of you. He's not mad. God, Paul was happy. He was glad to pay the price. He was glad to suffer for the gospel. You know, sometimes we can get a little cr- cranky when we have to suffer. I don't know about you, but sometimes we can, we can be that kind of people. Sometimes we'll, sometimes we'll be like, why am I suffering and not them? They're not even trying. They're not suffering because they're not trying. And we start to look around the church going, who is suffering like me? Few <sighs> too, too many. I'll tell you, the people in the early church, they were nuts. They were absolutely crazy. They were crackpots. They would get persecuted get their stuff taken by the government. They would get killed, and then they'd break out in song. No, 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 no. That's just crazy. That's nuts. If someone stole your TV, you'd be bummed for a week. If someone steals your Netflix password, you're just I, irate. You don't break out in song. Someone's got free You don't do that. You're angry. You're sad. The Christians in the first century were thrown in prison, and then they sing. Bad things happen to them and they get fired up. Man, crackpots. <laughs> Screw loose. They're suffering and yet they're happy. When you start to suffer for the greater good, remember this. Rejoice in that because it's the passion. It's the afflictions that we get to participate with Jesus. We get to join in. You know, we like being joined in baptism. We like that part. I was buried with him in baptism. You know, I felt so good. How about the afflictions? How about the suffering? How about the the sleepless nights? There are some times I don't sleep because I'm worried for things in the church. We worry. We stress. How are we going to make it? Jesus is going to pull us through. He always does.
So Paul, in another letter, I'm just going to just flash back on the suffering. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one. Okay, just having that done once to you, you wouldn't want that again. It would almost kill a man, right? The Romans did that, right? 40 minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Now I get seasick, but shipwreck's a whole different other business. I spent a night and a day in the open ocean. You know, I like to read those on the Discovery Channel, how I should have been dead. Those guys are out there by themselves in the ocean for a day. Sharks and all that stuff. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, because he's out there spreading the gospel. In danger from bandits. In danger from my fellow Jews. And in danger from Gentiles. In danger in the city. In danger in the country. In danger at sea. And in danger from false believers. What, what, what Dan said. Betrayal from your own brothers and sisters. Gosh, that's got to hurt. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And Paul says, I rejoice in this suffering so that I can bring the good news to the Gentiles. Even when they rejected him, even when they hurt him, even when they chased him away. And I wonder how he could inspire you to do the same in your mission of love to the people that God has put in your life. I hope he can inspire you when you're, when you're feeling like I'm just a little tired because I worked eight hours. I wonder if he can inspire you to make that extra phone call, to get that extra time with someone. Or the brother's household just needs encouragement that night and the brother came home and you're tired. He said, I've had the worst day of my life. Let's talk about it. Jesus did tell Paul, you'll have to suffer for my name. And that's good suffering. Lack of sleep, lack of rest. Sometimes your household will hurt your feelings. People in your world hurt your feelings. Sometimes your dad will hurt your feelings. He doesn't want to, but he just does. You want to have a conversation with your father, and he doesn't want to have a conversation. Those are hurtful. I'm calling you to talk to you. If I can, if I can talk to my dad longer than two minutes, it's a victory. That's all he knows. He doesn't know how to connect. But I want to help him connect. Because I want to help my dad connect with me, and within one day with God but we need to talk more than two minutes. Paul suffered. We can suffer and rejoice too. Then he writes this in verse 25. I've become its servant, like the gospel servant, by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. See, I love the posture of Paul. He's like, I'm a servant. He's a, he's a church planner. This guy's famous. This guy's planted churches all over the area. This guy can do miracles. 
But yeah, he goes, I'm a servant by the commission God gave me. I'm obedient to my master. Look at that word, commission. Oikonomia. He's saying the commission is that this is my household. It literally means the management of my household is the Gentiles. The, everything I'm going to do, I'm going to do for them. That is my world. My world is the Gentiles. My world is a Gentile, which means anyone who's not an Israelite. That's my world. That's who I'm focused on. It's a stewardship. It's a responsibility that he's taken upon himself. It's my responsibility to the Gentiles. I've been commissioned by God. That's what that word means. The responsibility of, of the gospel going to the Gentiles was on Paul in his world. Do you feel that way about your world? Do you feel it's your responsibility? I hope you do. I got a knock on my door this week by two intentional women who are holding out the other gospel of Jesus Christ. I let Karen deal with that. I said, I'm kind of tired about it. Hey, how's it going? And I walked away. And Karen had to handle it. But again, it reminded me that there are people out there that are very intentional. And they have another gospel of Jesus Christ in North America. And they're intentional. And it was two women this time. It made me wonder, are we intentional? Because that's intentional. I think they were hitting up every door on, on my block. Jesus. Colossians. Paul goes, this mystery, this, this household. Everyone loves a good mystery, right? I love a good mystery. I love good movies that have good mystery. Sixth Sense, classic all time. There were hints. When I saw it for the 35th time, I started seeing the hints. Oh, there are the hints. There were the hints. Oh, and I see that. He wasn't looking at her. He was looking. Ah, oh, the hints, the mystery. That's what it was like when Jesus came for the Jews. There were hints. There was direction. There was a pointing to something greater than the Jews. And that mystery. Paul uses that word specifically because the Gnostics in the church are saying, we know the mystery. He goes, no, let me tell you about the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the Lord's people. What's the mystery? The Gnostics are like, what's the mystery? Paul goes, I got a mystery for you. I got a mystery. Because when you think of the word mystery in the New Testament, most of the time that word is referencing in the book of Daniel, how Daniel answered the mystery of the king who had a dream. Who's going to solve this mystery? And Daniel goes, I can, not really me, but God. And he tells him the dream, the mystery. And here's the mystery. The mystery is, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's saying that you, the Gentiles, the mystery is that Jesus is now in you. He's a part of you. Because when they got baptized, they got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and Jesus is inside now. 
It's the temple of God. That was the mystery, but it was a shocker because that shouldn't have happened because God was only for the Jews. And that was ingrained and ingrained in them. But we know by history in the Bible, God's true Israel was a Jewish and Gentile to be his Israel. In God's mind, that was always the plan. Here's a good example. When Joseph went to Egypt, he had, was given a wife. Remember, he saved everybody, he saved everybody, and everyone was saved from the grain. You know who his wife he was, who became his wife? Was the priest of On, an Egyptian priestess who was Egyptian. And then they had two kids, Ephraim and Manasseh. Wait a minute. Those sound like tribal names. You're right, they are tribal names. They're Jewish territorial tribes of a half Jew and half Egyptian whose mother was an Egyptian priest's daughter who worshipped many gods. Even from the very beginning, God's vision always included the Gentiles. It was kind of like Sixth Sense. There it was. It was a glimpse. I saw it. Maybe. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Ha. It was a mystery. It was a mystery. Even the genealogy of Jesus. There are some Canaanite women in there. <gasps> Even from the bloodline of the Messiah, there was Gentiles. Not only that, but those women had some suspect pasts. Some stuff going on there. But yet part of the bloodline. Because it was always baked into the plan. The true Israel. But would it only be revealed through the work of Jesus, through the seed of Abraham? That was only the way God would do it. God picked a new nation that Jesus would come through. And look at this. The hope of glory. The final state of the true Israel was Jews and the Gentiles. And you should be pretty happy because most of you are Gentiles. You're non-Israelites. We're pretty excited about that. Jesus is in me and he calls us the hope of glory. Yes, the hope of glory. The final culmination of what God wanted was done through the work of Jesus. Because in Daniel 7, I, said, I read you this a few weeks ago. There's a scene where this son of man figure, this human-like figure in heaven, was given authority and glory and sovereign power over all the nations and all the people of every language, and they worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and it will never pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Where do you think Jesus got the line, all the authority and power has been given to me? Where do you think he got that from? Because he was right there. He got the authority and power. It was given to him. In Daniel 7, six cents. There it is. Another clue. He had the authority. That's where, that's where he got that line. He said, I, I have the authority not only in heaven, but now that I resurrected, I have it on earth. Now I can say, Jew and Gentile, you're one Israel. And that was the goal. That was the hope of glory. An international, a multinational family. A new Israel. Where all races can be a part of it. From any nation. It didn't matter. Some of the best 
awesomeness of God is about creating a new humanity, a new community for all of us. And that's what he wants us to go. And he closes out this little segment of this little letter. Now, they didn't have chapters back then or verses. I'm just letting you know that. I'm just, this is helpful for us to read it, but look how he closes out chapter one. If, if he was thinking chapter one, I doubt it, but if he was. He's like, he is the one, Jesus, because this new Israel, we proclaim, we preach. Who? To your household. Who? To people in your world. Who? To the people that God put there. He's like, you. Go and make disciples of the people in your household. Well, who are they? Well, identify them. Identify who they are. Well, my kid, my son, my daughter, my cousin who's living in my garage. Great. Who else? My neighbor across the street, you know, my, my coworker. Identify them. Pray for them. Spend time with them. Read your Bible with them. Invite them to something. Invite them to dinner. Invite them to family group. Just get in there. Stay in there. Suffer a little bit. Maybe he'll call you bad names. Get in there still. Maybe you have to suffer. Maybe he'll say something rude to you and gossip around you with your neighbor. It's okay. Suffering's good, remember? Stay in there. Preach. Then he says admonishing. That's instruction with a little warning. Hey, hey, bro. Let me, let me give some, some warning here. That might, that might not be a good idea. You're giving some instructions with some warning. Don't give in to the pressures of our culture. Don't give in to the pressure of lessening Jesus and making your experience more important than the Bible. Okay? Because that happens a lot. Our experience is more important than the Bible. And that's a new wave in Christianity. You feel good, you are good. Yeah, I can feel good and be crazy. Okay? So instruction with a warning. And then there's teaching. It's positive, truthful instructions. You know, when someone becomes a disciple, you're, you're in there still. You're giving positive, truthful instructions. You're staying in there. They're young Christians. You're involved. You come to a midweek or a house church, you get positive, truthful instruction where everyone with all wisdom, it's spiritual wisdom, not worldly wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature, grown up in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend. That means to grow weary and tired like you are competing in a wrestling match in the public games. You're tired, but you keep going because you're in, a, you're in competition. You're tired and exhausted, but you keep fighting. That's what it means to strenuously contend, to grow weary and tired just like in the public games with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Which speaks to ministry for us. It speaks to preaching. That's ministry. That's not just my job. It's your job too. We're all responsible for proclaiming the gospel. Okay? I just do it for Sunday for 30 minutes. Right? Publicly. It's nothing. It should be done every day, all day, to everyone we know. Warn, warnings. Looking out for each other. Just, just look out for each other. If someone's, you know, just look out. Hey, bro, it's okay. Look out. Instructions. It's helpful. Teach positively. Have a quiet time with each other. And work hard. Those are the elements of ministry. Those are our elements of shoreline. 
Preach, we warn, we teach, we work hard. We're small, we're mighty. This, this room will one day be filled with your friends and your family and your household. Canvas students that have left, I try to bring them back home. Come on back. Come on back. But this is the elements of ministry. This is what we should be doing and focused on. And we should not be ashamed of suffering or embarrassed of it or cranky because we're suffering. But suffering is good for the sake of the gospel. Let's close out in a prayer together.